good morning, Texas. Welcome to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. I'm Wyatt Wright, and this show is about our rights and the laws that govern us, rights you've heard of and care about and would certainly miss if they were gone. I've spent half a lifetime watching government go from trying to do what's right and failing to trying to do what's wrong and succeeding. Every year, more and more of our personal rights are erased from the books while Americans stand idly by. Not because we don't care, of course we care, but because our lives are busy enough trying to feed our families and raise our kids. While we're busying ourselves with life, the metaphorical water temperature is rising all around us, kind of like that frog that gets boiled without ever knowing it. Yeah. Well, on this show, we discuss legal issues that affect you and me, the people of Texas. We'll take a hard look at the laws that affect your freedom, your ability to access the courts, to vote, to speak freely, or in short, to live the American dream. Stick around. Today, we'll be joined on the phone by Dallas appellate attorney Kirk Pittard and hear his thoughts on how our new laws affect you. Well, let's go ahead and jump right in and get wet today. Let's assume that in June of 2011, I decided to race my sports car down a crowded street. Now, I'm zipping in and out of traffic, and I come to a red light. I was driving 85 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, and I blew the red light and drove over three kids. Now, none of them died, but their medical bills totaled $100,000. Should I? Or my insurance be held liable to pay the $100,000? Of course. I was negligent. Extremely so. But now, let's assume that I did the same thing again, but this time two months later. And it was in the August, in August of 2011. Chances are that due to a new Texas Supreme Court ruling, which came down in July of 2011, that even though the injuries I caused were the same, this time I would only have to pay a fraction of that amount. Sound fair to the injured kids? The Supreme Court thinks so. I don't. Let me introduce you, uh, introduce you to a legal concept known as the collateral source rule. This rule dates back to 1883 in Texas, and in short, it says that a wrongdoer cannot claim the benefit that an injured person has from his own resources. So, here's an example of how the collateral source works. <clears throat> Excuse me. Suppose John gets injured by a drunk driver who crashes into him. John has medical bills of $50,000, but John made the wise decision ahead of time to buy health insurance for his family. Premiums he pays every month. His health insurance company has a deal with the hospital, which results in the medical bills being reduced from $50,000 to $25,000. So John's health insurance company only has to pay $25,000, not the full fifty. Under the collateral source rule, John is able to sue for and recover reasonable medical value of $50,000. Ladies and gentlemen, the true size of the bill. The fact that John had health insurance is irrelevant and inadmissible because it was his insurance policy that he paid premiums for. Notice that. It was his insurance that he paid premiums for. The other side did not get the benefit of it. It was only through his foresight in buying the insurance that what the hospital got uh, as payment was reduced from 50000 to $25,000. Now, in addition 
the jury gets to see the $50,000 medical bill in order to properly gauge the severity of John's injury when awarding things such as pain and suffering or the impairment of a body part, etc. This makes sense, right? If you were on a jury, wouldn't you be interested in the amount of a person's medical bills to assist you in determining just how badly he was injured? I mean, the total amount of health care bills more accurately reflects the severity of the person's injuries. So in this case, the jury might award the full $50,000 to John, and the drunk driver or his insurer would have to pay it. $50,000 is the level of damage that was caused, and $50,000 is what the at-fault person ought to pay. That, ladies and gentlemen, was the law in Texas for 128 years. And it's still the law in most states. But in July of 2011, the Texas Supreme Court dealt a windfall. I don't know how else to describe it. To dangerous drivers. Gave them a windfall and other wrongdoers. And here's, here's how they did it. In a case called Haygood versus Escobedo, the Supreme Court of Texas overturned 128 years of law and said that wrongdoers only have to pay an injured person for the reduced amount of the medical bills that the injured person actually had to pay. Let me say it another way. Now in Texas, recovery of medical bills is limited. It's limited, ladies and gentlemen, to the amount that the injured person actually had to pay. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. On this program, we point out and discuss the ever-increasing disappearance of our American rights. So, in the example we just used, John had $50,000 in medical bills. But under this new Supreme Court case, he would only be able to claim 25000 Making it worse, making it worse, John would only be able to tell the jury that his bills were 25000 which makes his, it makes his injury only seem half as severe. So for causing $50,000 in injury, the wrongdoer's insurance company would only have to pay $25,000. Now, it gets worse. It seems that I say that a lot on this program, and it gets worse. If John collects the $25,000, the hospital may very well come after him to pay the additional $25,000 that his health insurance didn't pay. Now, John is left with zero. Hmm. Something is wrong with this, you might say. Wyatt, are you telling me that John would be penalized for having the foresight, the foresight to spend his own money on health insurance? Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying, and it gets worse. Let's say that the wrongdoer not only hit John causing $50,000 in damage, but he also hit Jane causing the same injuries and the same $50,000 in medical bills. But while John had health insurance, Jane did not. Jane did not want to spend the money to buy health insurance and decided to just take the risk. A lot of people do that. But in this case, John, with the health insurance can only collect $25,000, less than the full bill, while Jane, who wanted to take the risk, gets to collect the full $50,000, all for exactly the same injuries. So the wrongdoer, or his insurer, gets to pocket the savings. 
the wrongdoer pockets the savings while John gets the short end of the stick. And the wrongdoer doesn't even have to pay for the health insurance premiums that John paid. Man, that, that, that's not right. So in this case, John gets hit again by having to pay the premiums that the wrongdoer gets to take advantage of. But the health insurance, ladies and gentlemen, that John bought, and this is the key, was a deal that he struck. Why should somebody else get the benefit of it? All right, here's a very simple example of the collateral source rule in action. Some people, if you haven't gotten it, here it is. Let's say that you're a frequent guest at a restaurant. And as a result, the restaurant sends you a coupon, good for one free meal with a value of $50. I mean, that's conceivable. You go in there a lot. Now, if a thief steals your $50 coupon, under the collateral source rule, the thief owes you $50. That's the value he stole from you. It was your benefit of frequent dining that got you the $50 meal coupon. But you didn't actually pay $50 to get it. So if the Texas Supreme Court's ruling applied to this theft, if it did, then the thief not only gets to use the $50 meal coupon that he stole, but he also doesn't owe you anything for stealing it. He owes you zero. Why? Because you didn't pay for the coupon. Ridiculous? Yeah, I think so, too. So the message that the Supreme Court in Texas has sent to the drunk drivers of this state is, if you decide to drive drunk and hurt somebody, you should hope that they have their own health insurance or Medicaid or Medicare so that you don't have to pay the full price for your damages. Heck, what a bargain. I know, let's, let's punish those with good sense to buy health insurance and reward those who drive drunk and hurt innocent people. That, my friends, is how the Texas Supreme Court says it should be in Texas. Here's another way to look at it. Suppose Tom, we'll throw somebody else in here, Tom gets hurt by a drunk driver. But Tom doesn't have any health insurance at all. He doesn't have health insurance, doesn't have Medicaid, nothing, has nothing. But Tom happens to have a brother who's a medical doctor. And his brother treats him, and he performs a much-needed surgery on Tom. Naturally, Tom's brother doesn't make him pay the bill. It's his brother. Now, ordinarily, Tom's brother, who's a doctor, would charge $100,000 for the treatment and surgery. But at trial, Tom has to tell the jury that his medical bills were zero. Zero. So the drunk driver gets off scot-free without having to pay one single dime. That is the law in Texas, ladies and gentlemen, after July of 2011, aren't you glad that the Texas Supreme Court is hard at work every day looking out for us regular citizens? Makes me feel better. I feel much better. After all, why should a drunk driver have to pay for the medical injuries he causes? I mean, he's gone through so much, you know, with the breathalyzer and all. Heck, the injured guy or gal should just suck it up and be happy for the drunk driver. That, my friends, is nonsense. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. On this program, we point out and discuss the ever-increasing disappearance of our American rights. Coming up, we'll be opening the email bag to see what you have to say to me, so stick around for that. But here's something else you need to know. In Texas, we have a concept called punitive damages, 
which allows a jury, this, this concept allows a jury to award damages to punish a wrongdoer if his conduct was so egregious that it offends public decency. You can imagine that. So if a person was a multiple drunk driving offender who then got out on bond on the condition that she stay under house arrest and wear an ankle monitor, but then she slips out of the ankle bracelet, goes on another drinking binge, drives her car the wrong way on the highway and hits another car head on, causing crippling injuries to a young man that has a family. The jury just might be inclined to award punitive damages. In fact, I didn't make that up. My law firm tried that exact case to a jury last month, and the jury was outraged enough to award punitive damages. It is to send a message to those who act egregiously that that won't be tolerated in Texas. But the Texas legislature has put a cap on punitive damage awards that in most cases limits punitive damages to no more than two times the economic damages, such as the medical bills. Now let's get back to our example about John and Jane. John had health insurance, but he remember, he was only awarded $25,000 because of this change. $25,000 out of a $50,000 bill, while Jane collected the whole $50,000 bill. If the jury found egregious conduct by the drunk driver, they could penalize that driver $100,000 for Jane, and only $50,000 for John. Something is not right in Texas. Well, and so it goes. It's time to reach into the mailbag and see what people have to say to me. As always, if you have something to say, send it to me at speakup at wyattwrightshow.com. That's speakup at wyattwrightshow.com. Today we have an email from Tim in Floresville who writes, I am already getting frustrated by the amount of political coverage on TV. I heard part of your show saying that this was about to get worse. Part of me wants to turn it off, but then I start thinking about which candidate will actually be best for the people based on their track record, not just hollow promises to make everything better. Thank you for giving us some issues to keep in mind while listening to these politicians talk. Thanks, Tim. I hear you, and you're a brave soul for putting up with it. It is difficult. I'm already nervous about what our television sets will look like in a couple of months after the floodgates were opened to corporate spending. We talked about that on a previous show. Hang in there, Tim. As long as you keep examining what certain candidates have actually done for Americans, then you are ahead of the game. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. On this program, we point out and discuss the ever-increasing disappearance of our American rights. Our guest today is attorney Kirk Pittard. He's from Dallas, a Dallas attorney, and he's a partner at the law firm of Kelly Durham and Pittard, which is an appellate law firm specializing in civil appeals in both state and federal court. Mr. Pittard is a multi-year recipient of Texas Monthly's Rising Star Award and has been named one of the best lawyers in Dallas by D Magazine. Welcome to the program, Mr. Pittard. Hey, thank you, Wyatt. It's great to be here. Well, you know, and we appreciate what you do. I know that you're a hardworking uh, appellate lawyer here in Texas, and, and it looks like with our current courts, you've got a, a lot of work to do, don't you? Oh, yeah, we have our hands full. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. Well, you know, we've been talking so far about the collateral source rule in Texas and its lengthy history, you know, dating back to 1883. But before we talk about what changed, I, I want to... 
I, I really just want to talk about uh, keeping in, in, in mind this idea that the law should be constant. So let me ask you this question. How much sense does it make to suddenly wake up one day and overrule 128 years of legal precedent? Well, why? In short, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Our laws are supposed to be predictable so that people can modify their conduct and so that they can make sure they comply with the law. I mean, the purpose of the term stare decisis, which we've all become familiar with, is so that legal determinations in the past continue to be authoritative for future cases. Yeah, and that makes sense because if you can't count on a 128-year-old law, uh, I mean, what can you count on? Doesn't that, that really tells us that the law isn't that certain at all. Well, that's right. I mean, if you can't rely on settled law that's over 100 years old, then it adds, it adds uncertainty not only to the law but to people's conduct. Yeah, and I can see that. And that, of course, makes it difficult for any of us to know really what's expected of us. But, you know, as a concept, uh, the, co- the collateral source rule, which you're familiar with and you've worked on, I want you to tell us about that. But the collateral source rule seems to make a great deal of sense to our court system, doesn't it? Well, that's right. I mean, simply because a victim who's been injured, simply because uh, their medical expenses have been partially paid for or reduced by a collateral source, I mean, it makes sense that the wrongdoer shouldn't get get a break for that, uh, particularly when it was their wrongful conduct that caused the injury. Yeah, and and I see that because if if this concept is that we all want to uh, do what's better for ourselves, and, and I take the step to get health insurance or find some way to help, you know, alleviate the burden maybe on, on the public systems or something else, then it seems to me that somebody who's out there doing it wrong ought not to be able to take advantage of that. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the collateral source rule is something you, you've got some experience with uh, from your appellate practice. I want you to tell us a little bit about that, but this has been used in many different types of situations, hasn't it? It has been. There are I mean, it's been recognized in a lot of scenarios. I mean, generally speaking, free medical services are considered a collateral source. VA disability benefits, as you mentioned earlier, medical insurance that was purchased by the plaintiff, and also reductions in medical expenses uh, based on Medicare and Medicaid. Those have all been considered collateral sources. Now, what is your you, – you've had some involvement in this, and I, I, the, the case that we've talked about, Escobedo, uh, or Haygood versus Escobedo, uh, did you play a role in that uh, in the court system to some degree? Uh, I did. I, I did not represent either of the parties in that case, but I did file an amicus brief uh, in the Supreme Court in that case, both with regard to when the court considered the merits, and then I have another amicus brief pending up there right now in support of the motion for rehearing. All right, so this is something that you're familiar with, uh, but, but it seems then that the test of whether or not something is a collateral source and, and ought to be considered or not be considered doesn't have anything to do with who actually pays those benefits, does it? That's right. I mean, it's based on the character of the benefits, and that's, that means the source exists because of the, for instance, the injured person's acts and not the acts of the wrongdoer. Yeah, and that makes – so what, what you're saying is is that it, it exists because in our example, for instance, the, the person who was injured had health insurance, uh, but it wasn't the, the drunk driver who went out and got that health insurance? That's correct. Yeah. So the, the law today – as it stands with this ruling, is that the recovery of medical bills is limited to the amount that the injured person actually had to pay. What brought about this this ruling in in the Escobedo case? Well, this law was passed back in 2003 by the Texas legislature, uh, and it was for purposes of limiting the amount of recovery for amounts that were paid or incurred. Now, when I say incurred, 
that has traditionally meant, and the legislative history actually supports that the word incurred means the build amounts. And so this legislation that was passed, uh, it was written in the disjunctive so that you could recover the paid or the incur amounts, and it w- didn't appear to be the intent of the legislature to preclude someone for recovering those build amounts. Okay, so you say that that wasn't the intent of the legislature. I mean, how, how do we know that that wasn't the intent of the legislature? Well, for instance, we have some discussion on the Senate floor by Senator uh, Senator Ratliff and Senator Hinojosa that ultimately became legislative history in this case. And uh, Senator Ratliff said that the economic damages are limited to those actually incurred. That is to say, a plaintiff can't recover more than they actually paid or had been charged for the health care expenses in the past. So Senator Ratliff made the point uh, that the incurred amounts meant the amount that had been charged, and this was not to preclude the recovery for the amounts that were charged. Okay, so what you're saying is, is that if the bill was $50,000, all they intended to do was to say you can't get more than $50,000 because that was the bill. They, they they weren't looking to, to, to any of the agreements that somebody may have had with their health care provider. They just said that you can't get more than the bill. Does that sound right? That's exactly what it sounds like. Well, okay, so why didn't the Supreme Court in Escobedo listen to that uh, legislative history that you just told us about? Well, this this Supreme Court has demonstrated time and time again, uh, at least in some people's mind, that it is a result-oriented court. And if the legislative history doesn't support the result that the Supreme Court is trying to reach, then the the Supreme Court routinely uh, disregards the legislative history. Okay, so this is uh, – is well, I'm just trying to find a, 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 some sort of nugget here in the grass. Is there, uh, is there something in this opinion that can read uh, that I'm missing that says that this is actually good for the injured people in Texas? I haven't uh, spoken with anybody who's necessarily read it that way. I mean, the, the, the way it's read, it benefits wrongdoers, as you've described in your numerous examples, but it certainly doesn't help the injured victims. Yeah, well, that just seems to defy common sense to me. I mean, this whole, this whole idea that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, even if we say that the injured party can't collect it, what really defies logic for me is that what we're really doing is we're letting the wrongdoer off the hook, and that doesn't sound right. Yeah, that's right, Uh, and that's the most disconcerting thing about it is that the person who was most wrong in the situation ends up benefiting from the person who who was uh, victimized by the wrongdoer's acts. Yeah, and and we're talking with with Kirk Pittard. He's an attorney in Dallas. He's an appellate attorney up there, uh, specializes in all sorts of work in our appellate courts in Texas, and we're glad to have him on the show. Now, as I mentioned this before uh, on another show, uh, there's a legal scholar who once said that a good law unexecuted is much like an unperformed promise. Now, Kirk, it seems to me that what the Supreme Court has done in this case is to refuse to execute the law, the one you were talking about, the way it was intended. I mean, isn't that the same as breaking Texas's promise to, to protect its citizens? Well, I think that's right. I mean, there's nothing about this opinion in the Escobedo case that protects our citizens, particularly when uh, those who are injured due to the wrongful acts of others. This, this decision, as I mentioned before, it actually protects the wrongdoers, gives them a benefit to which they were never entitled. Yeah. Now tell us how this works. So if a person is injured and they get this, this $50,000 bill, let's say, and, uh, and it ends up getting reduced, uh, let's say, to $25,000, do they just submit those, those reduced bills to the, to the court as proof? 
Well, let me let me mention. I mean, before this law was passed, there was a simple procedure for proving up reasonable and necessary medical expenses to recover, and that procedure was signing an affidavit which set forth the reasonable and necessary medical expenses. Now, uh, the the burden of proof is so complicated because of the legal nuances to this that it's likely that if a case like this goes to trial, now health care providers, that is to say doctors, are now going to have to come and testify live to prove up uh, these amounts of medical expenses that are recoverable. That means health care providers are going to have to take time away from their practice, time away from treating patients, to spend hours in a courtroom to prove up medical expenses. Oh, my goodness. Well, it doesn't sound right to me. Now, in its in its opinion, the Supreme Court shouldn't be focusing on this concept of a windfall, uh, but it, it really is the bad guy who's getting the windfall here, isn't it? Well, that's right. I mean, a windfall is, is when someone receives a benefit to which they aren't entitled. Um, and now... When a wrongdoer has their liability reduced because of the victim's insurance that the victim purchased, uh, the wrongdoer is the one that receives that windfall. Right. Now, I hear this phrase judicial activism being used quite a bit lately. Many times it's probably used simply to describe decisions that a person doesn't agree with. But one source, for instance, Wikipedia, defines judicial activism as rulings that are suspected of being based on reasons other than existing law. Now, Kirk, in this instance, the collateral source rule we know has been around for 128 years. We know the intent from you told us what the legislative history was. I'm wondering if some commentators wouldn't call this ruling judicial activism. Do you think that Texans are in for more of these rulings that sort of throw decades of precedent out the window? Well, Wyatt, actually, I mean, this case is just one of numerous cases in a long line of cases over the past 15 to 20 years in which the Texas Supreme Court has ignored past and settled precedent to change the law to reach results that it desires. So, I, yeah, I think we're probably in for more of this until such time as the composition of the Texas Supreme Court has changed. Sure. And, you know, what really bothers me is not just the harm this opinion will cause to injured people in Texas, but the message it seems to be sending to wrongdoers is uh, is that, you know, it, it, they can hope to get off for some of their damages. That really bothers me. Well, let me throw this out there to you, Kirk. Uh, what should our concerned listeners do to demand a change in this ruling? Well, I think there's two things. One is to communicate with their representatives in the legislature, that is the House of Representatives and the Senate, um, let them know that they don't agree with this and encourage them to pass a law that will either clarify the statute sure. or overturn that opinion. The second thing is uh, to vote for justices on the Supreme sure. Court that will actually honor and adhere to the rule of law. Well, that sounds great. Listen, thanks to you for joining us today, uh, Kirk Pittard from Dallas. We're going to have to wrap this show up, but uh, as you go through your week, remember that it was Justice Learned Hand who so famously said, if we're to keep our democracy, there must be one commandment, thou shalt not ration justice. Have a good day, everybody, right here on the Justice for All Wyatt Wright Show.